the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we cannot know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Good to be with you folks. Glad you're here tonight to join us as we make our way through the Scriptures. Picking up in Exodus chapter 26 tonight as we start a brand new week in the Word. We've been following now the adventures of the people of Israel as they come out of Egypt somewhere around 1450 Two million people make this two-month journey over to Mount Sinai. They're going to spend a little over two years there at the base of Mount Sinai. For all intents and purposes, this is a mob of slaves, men and women who've grown up in bondage. They've grown up in slavery with a mentality of slavery, with a mentality of dependence on their masters in that context. They have maintained some of their order of their society based on their family lineage and heritage, As children of Israel, remember Jacob, whose name would change to Israel, and his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And they do have some memory of that covenant relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their ancestors. Now God has intervened in history using a man named Moses and his older brother, Aaron. They have been brought out of that bondage in Egypt. And now they are in the process of being reprogrammed, I guess you could put it that way. They are learning what it means to live as free men and women. When we submit our lives to God, trust in Him, then we are truly free from any kind of earthly tyranny. Because God loves us, He cares about us, and He indeed is interested in our experiencing our maximum freedom and our maximum development as individuals and as a society for that matter. That's what's happening, nation-building going on. Now let's turn to Psalm chapter 18, that final segment of this wonderful psalm about freedom. Psalm 18, 43 through 50. You gave me victory over my accusers. You appointed me as the ruler over nations. People I don't even know now serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they submit. 
foreigners cringe before me. They all lose their courage and come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who harm me. He subdues the nations under me and rescues me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. You save me from violent opponents. For this, O Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing joyfully to your name. You give great victories to your king. You show unfailing love to your anointed, to David and all his descendants forever. End of reading, Psalm 18, 43 through 50. This is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Trouble to the day that I disappear. That'll be the day that I finally get it right. There is We are all under construction, no doubt about it. And we find the people of Israel here under construction as God begins to teach them to experience their existence as free men and women. And that's the same process that we go through, by the way, as believers. This is all a part of salvation. I think in our American culture, we emphasize to such a degree the work of the cross, the freedom that we have from sin's penalty. By the shed blood of Messiah, we have been freed from the penalty of sin. But we often disregard and don't give sufficient attention to the fact that our salvation, our redemption, also includes being set free from the power of sin. It's not a separate salvation. It's not a second work or a second blessing. It's the same redemptive plan, just like Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. There are two goats. One's blood is shed for the remission and the forgiveness of sin. The other is taken out of the camp, symbolizing the fact that sin is not only being forgiven, By the first goat, but by the scapegoat, sin is being taken out of the camp. We are being freed from the power of sin. And that's a very, very important truth that we will pick up on as we walk through now and observe the remaking of the people of Israel. All through the tabernacle, we find that there are symbols of God's dealing with humanity. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We see all kinds of symbolism of the Messiah, the Redeemer. We see that in the priesthood, the materials that make up the tabernacle, and in the dedication process of the priest. In every detail, we see the redemptive plan of God. Let's watch and learn on the Bible life. Exodus 26.1 through 28.39, Exodus 26. Make the tabernacle from ten sheets of fine linen. These sheets are to be decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with figures of cherubim skillfully embroidered into them. Each sheet must be 42 feet long and 6 feet wide. All ten sheets must be exactly the same size. Join five of these sheets together into one set, then join the other five sheets into a second set. Put loops of blue yarn along the edge of the last sheet in each set. The 50 loops along the edge of one set are to match the 50 loops along the edge of the other. Then make 50 gold clasps to fasten the loops of the two sets of sheets together, making the tabernacle a single unit. Make heavy sheets of cloth from goat hair to cover the tabernacle. There must be 11 of these sheets, each 45 feet long and 6 feet wide. All 11 of these sheets must be exactly the same size. Join 5 of these together into one set and join the other 6 into a second set. The sixth sheet of the second set is to be doubled over at the entrance of the sacred tent. 
Put 50 loops along the edge of the last sheet in each set and fasten them together with 50 bronze clasps. In this way, the two sets will become a single unit. An extra half sheet of this roof covering will be left to hang over the back of the tabernacle, and the covering will hang down an extra 18 inches on each side. On top of these coverings, place a layer of tanned ram skins, and over them put a layer of fine goatskin leather. This will complete the roof covering. The framework of the tabernacle will consist of frames made of acacia wood. Each frame must be 15 feet high and 2 and a fourth feet wide. There will be two pegs on each frame so they can be joined to the next frame. All the frames must be made this way. Twenty of these frames will support the south side of the tabernacle. They will fit into 40 silver bases, two bases under each frame. On the north side, there will also be 20 of these frames with their 40 silver bases, two bases for each frame. On the west side, there will be six frames, along with an extra frame at each corner. These corner frames will be connected at the bottom and firmly attached at the top with a single ring, forming a single unit. Both of these corner frames will be made the same way. So there will be eight frames on that end of the tabernacle supported by 16 silver bases, two bases under each frame. Make crossbars of acacia wood to run across the frames. Five crossbars for the north side of the tabernacle and five for the south side. Also, make five crossbars for the rear of the tabernacle, which will face westward. The middle crossbar, halfway up the frames, will run all the way from one end of the tabernacle to the other. Overlay the frames with gold and make gold rings to support the crossbars. Overlay the crossbars with gold as well. Set up this tabernacle according to the design you were shown on the mountain. Across the inside of the tabernacle hang a special curtain made of fine linen with cherubim skillfully embroidered into the cloth using blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Hang this inner curtain on gold hooks set into four posts made from acacia wood and overlaid with gold. The post will fit into silver bases. When the inner curtain is in place, put the Ark of the Covenant behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Then put the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of the Ark of the Covenant inside the most holy place. Place the table and lampstand across the room from each other outside the inner curtain. The lampstand must be placed on the south side and the table must be set toward the north. Make another curtain from fine linen for the entrance of the sacred tent and embroider exquisite designs into it using blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Hang this curtain on gold hooks set into five posts made from acacia wood and overlaid with gold. The post will fit into five bronze bases. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 27. Using acacia wood, make a square altar seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, and four and a half feet high. Make a horn at each of the four corners of the altar so the horns in the altar are all one piece. Overlay the altar and its horns with bronze. The ash buckets, shovels, basins, meat hooks, and fire pans will all be made of bronze. Make a bronze grating with a metal ring at each corner. Fit the grating halfway down into the firebox, resting it on the ledge built there. For moving the altar, make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with bronze. To carry it, put the poles into the rings at two sides of the altar. The altar must be hollow, made from planks. Be careful to build it just as you were shown on the mountain. Then make a courtyard for the tabernacle, enclosed with curtains made from fine linen. On the south side, the curtains will stretch for 150 feet. They will be held up by 20 bronze posts that fit into 20 bronze bases. The curtains will be held up with silver hooks attached to the silver rods that are attached to the posts. It will be the same on the north side of the courtyard. 150 feet of curtains held up by 20 posts fitted into bronze bases with silver hooks and rods. The curtains on the west end of the courtyard will be 75 feet long, supported by 10 posts set into 10 bases. The east end will also be 75 feet long. 
The courtyard entrance will be on the east end, flanked by two curtains. The curtain on the right side will be 22 and a half feet long, supported by three posts set into three bases. The curtain on the left side will also be 22 and a half feet long, supported by three posts set into three bases. For the entrance to the courtyard, make a curtain that is 30 feet long. Fashion it from fine linen and decorate it with beautiful embroidery in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. It will be attached to four posts that fit into four bases. All the posts around the courtyard must be connected by silver rods using silver hooks. The posts are to be set in solid bronze bases. So the entire courtyard will be 150 feet long and 75 feet wide, with curtain walls 7.5 feet high made from fine linen. The bases supporting its walls will be made of bronze. All the articles used in the work of the tabernacle, including all the tent pegs used to support the tabernacle and the courtyard curtains, must be made of bronze. Tell the people of Israel to bring you pure olive oil for the lampstand so it can be kept burning continually. The lampstand will be placed outside the inner curtain of the most holy place in the tabernacle. Aaron and his sons will keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence day and night. This is a permanent law for the people of Israel, and it must be kept by all future generations. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 28. Your brother Aaron and his sons Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar will be set apart from the common people. They will be my priests and will minister to me. Make special clothing for Aaron to show his separation to God, beautiful garments that will lend dignity to his work. Instruct all those who have special skills as tailors to make the garments that will set Aaron apart from everyone else, so he may serve me as a priest. They are to make a chest piece, an ephod, a robe, an embroidered tunic, a turban, and a sash. They will also make special garments for Aaron's sons to wear when they serve as priests before me. These items must be made of fine linen cloth and embroidered with gold thread and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. The ephod must be made of fine linen cloth and skillfully embroidered with gold thread and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. It will consist of two pieces, front and back, joined at the shoulders with two shoulder pieces. And the sash will be made of the same materials, fine linen cloth embroidered with gold thread and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the tribes of Israel. Six names will be on each stone, naming all the tribes in order of their ancestors' births. Engrave these names in the same way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Mount the stones in gold settings. Fasten the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the people of Israel. Aaron will carry these names before the Lord as a constant reminder. The settings are to be made of gold filigree, and two cords made of pure gold will be attached to the settings on the shoulders of the ephod. Then, with the most careful workmanship, make a chest piece that will be used to determine God's will. Use the same materials as you did for the ephod, fine linen cloth embroidered with gold thread and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. This chest piece will be made of two folds of cloth, forming a pouch nine inches square. Four rows of gemstones will be attached to it. The first row will contain a red carnelian, a chrysolite, and an emerald. The second row will contain a turquoise, a sapphire, and a white moonstone. The third row will contain a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. The fourth row will contain a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. All these stones will be set in gold. Each stone will represent one of the tribes of Israel, and the name of that tribe will be engraved on it as though it were a seal. To attach the chest piece to the ephod, make braided cords of pure gold. Then make two gold rings and attach them to the top corners of the chest piece. The two gold cords will go through the rings on the chest piece, and the ends of the cords will be tied to the gold settings on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then make two more gold rings and attach them to the lower inside corners of the chest piece next to the ephod. And make two more gold rings and attach them to the ephod near the sash. 
Then attach the bottom rings of the chest piece to the rings on the ephod with blue cords. This will hold the chest piece securely to the ephod above the beautiful sash. In this way, Aaron will carry the names of the tribes of Israel on the chest piece over his heart when he goes into the presence of the Lord in the holy place. Thus, the Lord will be reminded of his people continually. Insert into the pocket of the chest piece the Urim and Thummim to be carried over Aaron's heart when he goes into the Lord's presence. Thus, Aaron will always carry the objects used to determine the Lord's will for his people whenever he goes in before the Lord. Make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for Aaron's head in the middle of it. The opening will be reinforced by a woven collar so it will not tear. Make pomegranates out of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and attach them to the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and pomegranates are to alternate all the way around the hem. Aaron will wear this robe whenever he enters the holy place to minister to the Lord, and the bells will tinkle as he goes in and out of the Lord's presence. If he wears it, he will not die. Next, make a medallion of pure gold. Using the techniques of an engraver, inscribe it with these words, Set apart as holy to the Lord. This medallion will be attached to the front of Aaron's turban by means of a blue cord. Aaron will wear it on his forehead, thus bearing the guilt connected with any errors regarding the sacred offerings of the people of Israel. He must always wear it so the Lord will accept the people. Weave Aaron's patterned tunic from fine linen cloth. Fashion the turban out of this linen as well. Also make him an embroidered sash. End of reading, Exodus 26, 1 through 28, 39. There is hope. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Every detail, all of the different segments of the tabernacle are intentionally, specifically constructed out of certain materials and specific dimensions. This tabernacle is, in the first place, a big white fence, 25 yards across and 50 yards long. 25 yards across, that's half the width of a football field, and 50 yards long, that's half the length of a football field. So this is a fourth of a football field, and it's surrounded by this fence of white linen cloth with this beautiful embroidery on it with the scarlet thread and the blue thread, the cherubims and so on. So you have this fence around it, and at one end then there is a gate that opens up, and at the mouth of the gate there is a brazen altar and you'll find there a laver, a place where the priests could wash their hands from the sacrifices. Frankly, it was a great deal like a barbecue pit. It would smell like that all through the year. You would have the broiling, the sacrifices of these animals, goats, bulls, and so on, sheep. People brought them to the priest, to the tabernacle. They symbolized the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The soul that sins, it shall die. So death and sacrifice brought to our understanding the consequences of sin and rebellion against God. On the other hand, this was also an offering to God in the sense that it helped to sustain the priest. The priestly tribe or the Levites, these sacrifices went to help support them and their families since they did not receive a distribution of land. And their job, in fact, was to tend to the tabernacle, to the spiritual needs, to the health needs, and so on. They had social responsibilities to the entire nation of Israel. 
so these sacrifices went to help them as well. And part of the sacrifices also went to feasting as a family, at a family level, in godly believers' fellowship. So the tabernacle was central to the life of the congregation. Some years ago, when we were reading the Bible live at this point, there's a ministry that tours the United States, and they set up a replica of the Old Testament tabernacle. As we were reading this portion, we were able to encourage you to go out near shirts to see this full-size exact replica of the tabernacle. Now, it wasn't an exact replica. The Ark of the Covenant was not layered in gold and so on. That would be pretty risky, I would say. The tabernacle was amazing in the sense because of its unimpressiveness. It was very, very small in reality. This tabernacle was in the middle of two million people, twice the size of the city of San Antonio. We have then this construct surrounded by these great numbers of people. It had this fence 25 yards across and 50 yards long with a gate at one end. At the mouth of that gate, there is this bronze altar where the people brought their sacrifices, symbolizing their repentance from sin, the lamb and the goats, their necks were cut, the blood was shed. There was that constant lesson of the penalty of sin being death. There was a wash basin there as well for the priests to wash their hands, symbolizing the need for constant continual spiritual cleansing as well. There was an anointing oil described here in the passage tonight, an incense altar, And then in the middle of this 50-yard by 25-yard fence, there was this tent in the middle, very small actually. It has two sections. The front section that you walked in is called the holy place, and that's where the priest went in. There was a table there called the table of the showbread, the bread of the presence. Twelve loaves of baked bread were on that every day for the priest, symbolizing spiritual nourishment that God gives to his people. There was a lampstand, remember the menorah, the seven-candle lampstand, An incense altar was at the front of that. That was a very simple place for the priest to go in and meditate and pray for the people in their own heart preparation. And then there was this thick curtain that separated the front part of this little tent from the second part. The front part was called the holy place, and the back section is called the holy of holies or the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. This box, a very small box, gold-plated, it had within it certain elements from their history. For example, the tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on, Aaron's staff that was turned into a snake and so on. That holy of holy place was only entered one time a year by the high priest, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, one of their holy days, one of their high festival days. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place, and he could only do so one time a year on the Day of Atonement to make atonement for the sins of the nation as a whole, symbolically. When Jesus died on the cross, centuries later, the curtain in the temple, which had replaced the tabernacle in the times of David, in the time of Solomon, I'm sorry, the curtain was torn diagonally from top to bottom after the death of Jesus, symbolizing that now all of us, through Christ, have free access to the Holy of Holies, free access into that intimate relationship with God because of Messiah's death on our behalf. No one is ever redeemed. No one will ever be in heaven because of bulls and goats. Those were symbols. The reality was when the God-man, the perfect man of faith, came and walked out perfectly the life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father, and then he who knew no sin became sin for us, as the Apostle Peter put it. He took our sin upon himself in the same way, symbolically, that our sin was laid upon these bulls and these goats in the times of the sacrifices. In this case, truly, our sins were taken by 
Jesus the Messiah. My God, my God, he cried on the cross, why have you forsaken me? It was because of our sin that God's judgment was poured out upon Messiah on our behalf. Therefore, at that time, this curtain that was in the temple was ripped and torn, symbolizing that we now have, all of us, free access into the presence of God, into that intimate relationship with the true and living God. That is the gospel message found on almost all aspects of the tabernacle. and all of these details of the clothing for the priest as well, we see the symbolism of freedom. We see the symbolism of redemption. Now you and I, God's people, have become a nation of priests. The priesthood in this time was to represent God to the people, and they also stood in the gap and represented the people to God, interceding for the people and offering their sacrifices for them. We see this mediating function of the priesthood, and that's what we are now. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, as mentioned in the book of Titus in the New Testament. But also now we have become a nation of priests. We intercede for the people around us. Just tonight, Brian and I were looking out over the city from the 12th floor of the KSLR studios here overlooking San Antonio. We were praying for and thinking about all those thousands and thousands and thousands of people across this city who haven't come into that relationship by faith with the true and living God through Jesus the Messiah. And our prayer is that God would draw them by his spirit, that there would be a great movement of God's spirit across our city, drawing people to himself. Well, that's a function of that priestly role that we now have because of Christ, praying for men, sharing the message of God with men and women around us. You, too, have that responsibility, that thrill, that joy, that privilege of mediating and representing God in his message of love and forgiveness and cleansing and even his message of judgment to the world around us. This is a beautiful passage for us, even though it's a little bit detailed and we find ourselves a little bit out of it. Look and see this building. Look and see the function of the priest. And you'll see in all of these details reminders of the beauty of, the glory of, the message of the gospel, the redemptive plan that God has given us. I wonder as we look at the design of the ephod, this finely woven linen embroidered piece, the top piece for the clothing of the priest and then the chest piece itself as well. And all of these details we see symbolism of the role and the purpose of the priesthood. Clothed in white with white linen. We too are said to be clothed in white as God's people. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. Imputed righteousness. Just as our sin was put upon him His righteousness is imputed to us. God now sees us as holy and cleansed and perfect because of Jesus the Messiah. All of these details of the attachment of the priest. We'll continue next time on The Bible Life. Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Don't forget... 
Join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 